This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. You pick up something with the intent of helping survive a situation. Surviving is the same as duck and covering. And what we want is engagement. So now let's go. So let's celebrate words and understand that words are the tool of advocacy. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Parenting and Communicating with Teens with Dr. Ken Ginsberg. Dr. Ken is an adolescent medicine specialist and professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He travels the world speaking to parent, professional, and youth audiences, and is the author of five award-winning parenting books, two which you know of, Building Resilience in Children and Teens, Giving Kids Roots and Wings, and Raising Kids to Thrive, Balancing Love with Expectations and Protection with Trust. You actually know of more of them. These are the ones that are on my bookshelf right next to me. I'm also excited to say he has a book that is coming out anytime now, available for pre-order. I love the title. It's called Congrats, You're Having a Teen, Strengthen Your Family and Raise a Good Person. Dr. Ken has won multiple awards for all of his activities in advocacy, research, clinical skills, and writing, and has appeared on every and all major news networks doing the same thing. Finally, he is co-founder and director of programs for the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, which follows his strength-based philosophy and resiliency-building model. Dr. Ken, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, Dr. Dan. I just loved your intro of the show um, and the philosophy that you're talking about in terms of uh, families creating a better world, one young person at a time. And you have been... um... You have been on this march doing it uh, for so long. I have, um, as I told you on the last show, I mean, I've been following, I've followed your work for a very long time. Um, use your, your, your work with resiliency, um, with communication, with strength-based. And um, this thing is becoming more and more mainstream. You know, I was thinking to take us back when you started your work on resiliency. 
what was the field what what was the field like in terms of understanding it promoting it and doing something about it yeah let's take a moment to celebrate this like i'm not a freak anymore no right? you're not um, so so there was a time when you know i was early in my training where we really focused on telling kids what not to do and the belief that that would inspire them to listen to us, yeah. but it never worked. All it did is it made them feel terrible about themselves and made them look at adults and say, like, do you not really see who I am, right? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and now uh, we know to see the best in every young person. We know that loving, caring adults standing by their side is the key ingredient to them being able to thrive. But just as we take this moment to celebrate, Dr. Dan, let's also acknowledge that there are still so many myths about adolescence that still kind of, I think, more people believe than don't. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's hit. The, let's let's go right in there. What are the main the main myths that you see operating on? I'll say parents, teachers, um, family members, coaches, you know, all stakeholders. Well, let's talk about the truths. The truths are that adolescents are incredibly caring individuals. The truth is that adolescents worry about their health and well-being. The truth is that they care deeply about us and what we think and feel. The truth is that they want us to guide them to be their better selves. That's all the truth. The truth is that we can speak to them rationally if we know how to communicate. Um, now, here are the myths. The myths are kids think they're invincible. Kids don't like adults. Kids don't want to hear what we have to say. Kids are natural risk takers. Kids can't be reasoned with. Now, why do these myths matter? They matter because... The foundational question of adolescents, excuse me, of adults in the lives of adolescents are, do we still matter? Right? Yeah. You knew you mattered right. when your kid was two because they couldn't have eaten without you, right? right. They knew you right. knew they mattered when they were six because they couldn't get to school without you. Now adolescents can walk on their own and make their own decisions. So the foundational question is, do we matter? Well, if you believe the myths, the answer is no. Right? right. If kids think that they're invincible, then we should just protect them from themselves. Mm -hmm. If they don't care what we think, we shouldn't bother talking. If they can't be um, have rational thought, then we should just shut them in the closet instead of help them develop. So it is critical that we sort out the truths from the myths and we change the way we all see adolescence. So where do you think how did these myths which are then taken to be truths how did they get ingrained you know because when i yeah, think I of, when i you know when i think of hearing you say you know they take more risks you know there it's like okay well we've been told a long time with brain development and you know extra neural networks and pruning and oh yeah they're risk takers man they are dopamine seeking risk takers so where does all this come from yeah, so let's, let's talk about this and let's use our language correctly so we can be pro-development, right? So um, the brain science can really be misinterpreted badly in a way that is undermining to kids and therefore to our relationships. What's the truth? Yes, there are reward centers in the brain that make adolescents natural explorers. It makes them experimenters. 
Why? Because they are super learners. Because there will never be another time in human development where you'll be able to absorb as much knowledge and make it your own. Mm -hmm. Well, where does knowledge exist, Dr. Dan? It exists on the edges of existing knowledge, on the edges of what is known. So yes, adolescents do push to the edges, but that's very different than being a risk taker. That's mm -hmm. about seeking new knowledge. So, so what is our job? Why do we have to say, yeah, we matter, not a little, a lot? Because we have two major jobs here. Number one, we have to set clear boundaries, right? Mm, right. So if the adolescent brain is going to make you expand, then it is reliant on adult partnership to, to create clear boundaries beyond which you cannot stray. And mm -hmm. what's the other thing we got to do? We got to create golden opportunities at the edge of existing knowledge because, yes, the brain does go and get all happy at the edge of existing knowledge, right? Yep. But when we create deep, satisfying, enriching experiences there, then the experimentation stops and people are satisfied and they learn. So hear me clearly, you and all the people listen to these um, this podcast, who should be pro-development. Adolescents are natural experimenters. It's true. Mm -hmm. Risk-taking is when adults don't do our job. Mm -hmm. When we create good boundaries and we create golden opportunities, then yes, they experiment, but no, they don't stray into risk. That's they one example. I could do this yeah. for every one of them. I and know that's what can. a lot of the yeah. next book is about. Yeah. A lot of the next book is about changing the way we think about teens, right? Like, just listen to the title. Congrats, you're having a teen, right? Yes. You open that up, you're going to think I'm being sarcastic. Mm -hmm. I'm not. No. Right? What we have to do is stop producing books that are about survival guides mm -hmm. and begin producing um, all this knowledge that are about guides of how to develop our teens. Absolutely. You know, every, I, the vast majority of parents that come into my office in our center, when they have kids that are intense, sensitive, experiencing some form of dysregulation, some form of just struggle, you know, it's so common to hear. And I know you hear this all the time too. I can't, if this is how they are now, I can't even imagine what they're going to be as teenagers, right? It's almost like we parents are programmed early, early on to think and expect the worst of this phase of life. Well, you know, you're standing in the grocery store line and and your daughter has her head on your shoulder and she's 11 years old and and the mother behind you says, hang on tight, get those hugs while you can. She's going to become a monster you totally. won't recognize and totally. probably won't like. Enough. So, yeah. so, 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 Dr. Dan, let's take it to the next step. Right. Let's take the next step. So let's say that parent does come to me with their intensely sensitive child, their child who is a feeler and who is a sensor. So you know what the truth is? I'm not going to lie to them. Adolescents might have some rough patches because it's hard to feel. It's hard to care. But how about you look at the 35 year old you're producing? Mm -hmm. Don't you want that 35 year old to be a sensitive, caring human being? 
we've got to st- we've got to understand that some of our kids by the way i was one of these kids right that mm-hmm. some of our kids who are the most intensely sensitive human beings who might be really cool adults and will be really cool adults might yeah, yeah. go through a period of adolescence where they're going to have to learn how to regulate those emotions celebrate them elevate them leverage them Mm-hmm. Not to be ashamed of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and communication, um, which has become a uh, one of the other main bases of your work and your center, which we're going to talk about. Um, how how should parents of teens? By the way, we'd all love to get the memo. The memo doesn't exactly just come hey, as of tomorrow your child is going into this phase. So whenever that happens, what what do parents need to think about as they're entering that stage? Well, I have an endless amount of answers, but I think two pop into my head. The first is, if you are worried about the volatility of this stage as an observer, I want to remind you that it is your child who is living through the many moving pieces of development. Your stability, Mm -hmm. your presence, your standing beside them is exactly the security they need to launch into an adulthood, um, a healthy adulthood. So take a big, deep breath. My God, you matter. Yeah. Second, know how to talk to your kid. So yes, the The emotional part of the brain is utterly brilliant during adolescence. (laughs) In fact, it develops and becomes brilliant a little bit more quickly than the rational part of the brain, which makes sense, right? Because it's more important that you know who is friend and foe, who's manipulating you, um, who you should trust, who you shouldn't. That actually is an earlier skill set needed than calculus, Right. Mm-hmm. So right. it really, really makes sense. Um, but the myth is that you can't speak rationally to kids because they're all emotions. It's not true. Mm-hmm. The question is, which part of the brain do you stimulate? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you stimulate the emotional part of their brain, its brilliance will get away from itself. Mm-hmm. So if you use what we call hot communication, condescending tone, anger, even incredible emotional exuberance, then you're turning on the the emotional side of the brain. It's going to be really hard to capture that rational side. But if you're calm and loving, using what we call cold communication, which is, by the way, anything but cold, right? It's intensely warm, but Mm -hmm. you're present, you're calm, you're co-regulated with the kid, which we should Mm -hmm. talk about in a minute. You're co-regulated with the kid. Then the kid's emotional part of the brain stays stable, and you're going to find yourself having a very rational conversation with your kid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so two major things you said there, reflecting on uh, my experience of raising teenagers, I think the biggest awarenesses was how important it is to regulate yourself before entering a situation which has a lot of energy and emotion involved. One, which we'll talk more about, and two, 
that ability to stay present and be the cons- be as consistent as open reducing our fear as possible because as you say the 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 development the the stress the chaos that's happening on the adolescent in the adolescent world and if we bring our own into it we're just complicating things reducing the opportunity to have a actually meaningful and helpful discussion i mean it just the list goes on of all the things that go bad when we just bring ourselves into the room without thinking about these things first Absolutely. Let's underscore that last statement. So I want you to bring yourself into the room because it's your love for your child that's so protective. But then without thinking it through first is the problem. So remember this, you're going to be more upset by what happens to your child than anything else in the world, right? Because having a child is like having your heart on the outside of your body and and you live their pain. So Mm -hmm. it really means that you have to do your work in your own space because your goal is to co-regulate with your child. Mm-hmm. Best way to describe it is this. You're on a plane. There's turbulence. Um, you're scared. You look. Do you look at the guy next to you's guy like holding on to the seat and shaking? Uh-uh. You look at the flight attendants. And if they're still serving snack mix, you're cool. <laughs> That's when you borrow someone else's emotions. Yeah. Adolescent brain is so brilliant emotionally that it can read our spoken and unspoken signals. And so we have to get them in sync. If you're saying one thing, but looking scared, they're not believing you. They're actually believed. So you've got to create the space where you get to come and then you work to your child and work with your child. And Don't be afraid to tell them you need that space. Because the other thing, let's talk about this, right? Like if you have a five-year-old, if you're listening to this right now and you have a five-year-old and a teenager, here's how the five-year-old wants to see you. They want to see you like that duck gliding on the water, right? Mm -hmm, Just mm -hmm. calm, cool, collected, seeming to have no problems. You look like that with your teenager. You're not helping them because you're not teaching them. For your teenager, you want to look like the duck who's gliding on the water, but only because your little feet are paddling like crazy underneath. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's in the conversation we have with our kids about what our feet are doing, how they're paddling to stay um, t- uh, calm amidst turbulent waters. That's the cool teaching with an adolescent. Mm-hmm. So we can be ourselves. We can say, I don't feel ready right now. I'm going for a run. Then we're going to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, so we're, you were talking about being real. Teenagers need us to be real. Adolescents need us to be real. They have very large BS detectors. You remember, you all were one who's listening. Um, that never flies. So being your authentic self is respected. And being that authentic self when you've given yourself time to calm down, gather your thoughts, what we're calling is regulate. And sometimes we need to go for a run. Sometimes we need to talk to a family member, to a partner. Um, I know, you know, my my greatest, my most successful tough talks 
were when I didn't do it when I wanted to do it and was emotional about it. And I talked it through with my wife and took time to really get in a place that I was ready. Um, and that takes time, you guys. Like That takes time, but it's so critical, Dr. Ken, when you're talking about how to have effective communication with teens um, to really be purposeful and mindful in this. I agree. I, I don't know if you want me to comment other than to say, I think what you just said was brilliant. I have nothing to add, right? That's the point. Take okay. the time, make it so your words and your emotions match because those kids are brilliant mm -hmm. and they'll read you correctly. You know, and that's, you know, you've used the word brilliant a few times and I think I know purposefully because to think of our teenagers as brilliant beings um, who are here to absorb, to explore, to learn, and to learn from us is just such a different contextual frame than some of these myths that we're talking about, right? Like they don't want to hear us. They don't care about what we're doing. They don't even care about their family. All they care about is themselves. And those are these quiet, insidious um, paradigms that end up guiding our emotion and behavior in a situation. And, and often in, you know, there's a lot of insignificant, meaningful uh, uh, moments, but there's a lot of big ones, or at least they seem big. And it seems like it's all on you as a parent to make this thing right. Like, what do you have to say about these moments that seem so big in the parenting journey? Yeah, so first off, let's back up and uh, comment on the fact that you said, I'm using the word brilliant purposefully. That's correct. I'm choosing my words very carefully. You have a unique audience, which is why I'm so thrilled to be with you today, Dr. Dan. You have an audience of people who are ripe to become pro-development, who are ripe to change the language around teenagers. Because when we do, all young people and our society benefits. So when we begin talking about emotional brilliance rather than irrationality, we see the very same situation differently. When we talk about kids being natural explorers instead of risk takers, we change everything. When we talk about kids being super learners rather than, you know, pushing their limits, then we change everything. So yes, I am choosing my words very carefully and I invite everyone here to join this movement. Mm -hmm. When I chose this book title of a book coming out at some point near this thing, congrats. <laughs> that was very thoughtful instead of what I know sells more books, which is the word survival, right. but that actually hurts your relationship. You pick yeah. up something with the intent of helping survive a situation. Surviving is the same as duck and covering. And what yeah. we want is engagement. So yes. now let's go. So let's celebrate yeah. words and understand that words are the tool of advocacy. And your podcast and your listeners are natural advocates, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Love this. Love this. Um, I was just thinking, I love congrats. You're having a teenager versus, oh crap, here comes your teenager, right? Like that's the, like, yes. that's what we keep getting. But I, so this is pro development. 
This is pro-adolescent. This is trying to get in that place of wonder and be like fascinated and observing. This is a human who's who's changing internally, who's changing physio physi everything is changing in a world which is rapidly changing. And they're doing it for the first time. They're doing it for the first yeah. time. And yet we get upset with them for what did you just say? Why did you, why did you just do that? What were you thinking? Like this is all new, people. And 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 there you left out one pro, Dan, hmm. which is pro family. Yeah. Right? This yeah. isn't just pro teenager. This is pro your role. This mm -hmm. is about your long-term relationship. You know, yeah. my girls are 26 now. And they are honestly my best friends, right? Mm. And if I had said that when I was 14, when they were 14, that would have been a bad thing to say, right? Because <laughs> right, they didn't need a right. friend, they needed a daddy, right? Yeah. Um, but the question is, what is it that moves us from um, uh, these relationships where we are in charge to having what our goal is, which is interdependence throughout your lifetime? Right. So so you are raising a child and you have this job, which is probably the hardest job human beings have. Right. And the funny thing about this job is you're working yourself out of a job because your kid's going away at 18, 19 or 20. Yep. Right. But what you really want to be healthy is an interconnected, interdependent family. Um, far into the future, because you're gonna have more time with your adult children than you have with your adolescents, mm -hmm. right? So right. how do you get there? The way yeah. you have interdependence long term is to not blow it during adolescence. Right? <laughs> there you go. And, say that way. Say that again. Say that again. The way to have long term have interdependence. Long term yeah. is to not blow it during adolescence. Yes. So let's talk about two ways to blow it. Yeah. One way is to install control buttons, mm -hmm. right? If you are all about telling the kid what to do, that kid will run away from you as soon as they have the opportunity. But if you parents instead honoring developing independence, giving young, knowing young people are the experts in their own lives, giving them the toolkits and the ability to think and reflect and make wise decisions, they're going to want that kind of advice when they're 40 and you're 70 or whatever. They're going to still want it. The other way to blow it is to disengage, mm -hmm. to disengage and say, I don't matter anymore. Because if you disengage when the world is swimming around you, when you're an adolescent and everything is changing, your body's changing, your friends are changing, your brain is changing, everything, the world is crazy. And then the thing you've always relied on the most, which is the stability of your parents, your parents go, I'm going to sit over here while you grow. That's not the way to foster lifelong interdependence. But mm -hmm. when you say, listen, I don't have all the answers. The only answer I got is I love you and I'm by your side. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show up when you need me. If yeah. you communicate that, they're going to be looking for you in 20 years. Yes. All right. You hear that, people? These are the two ways to blow it in various degrees of your parenting of your adolescent. One is too much control. Two, to disengage.
thinking about the tough moments, the turbulent moments, the uncertain moments of parenting, and there are many along the whole continuum, um, which it never ends, right? Um, what do you say about, you know, I'm going to use the word, the word that's coming to my mind is faith, but not in a faith-based sort of way. It's like these moments where you're saying, I'm here, I love you, you know, and you're seeing your child suffer. You're seeing your child bullied. You're seeing your child go through a really tough situation. And, and, and here's the thing, and it's totally out of our control as a parent. You know, can you talk a little bit about that mindset of how to like sit in that difficulty? Um, well, this is part of the human condition is that sometimes we do suffer and we suffer most when we stand alongside those people we love. So let's mm -hmm. be honest with ourselves about that. Right. And um, easy answers are never real answers. Let's be clear about that. Mm -hmm. With that said, what is your role? And what does love mean? I have the audacity to try to define what love means in this kind of a relationship. What it means to me is seeing someone as they deserve to be seen, as they really are, not based on a label they might have received, how they might be performing or producing, or even a behavior they might be displaying. So when the world is topsy-turvy and insecure, when your child is receiving negative undermining messages from society, from peers, from teachers, from whatever, they have to know that the person who knows them the most loves them exactly the way they really are, mm. right? And yeah. this is what you do during these turbulent moments. You reflect and you go, I'm in pain because my child is in pain. Why does this feel so intense to me? Because I love so deeply. Why do I love so deeply? And don't stop by saying, because it's biologic. Actually think it through. All that is good and right in your child, their character strengths, their generosity, their compassion, their resilience, their fortitude, their stubbornness, all that is good and right about mm -hmm. your child. Mm -hmm. Celebrate that. Remind yeah. yourself of who the child is. Then you become their North Star. And when the rest of the world seems chaotic, I mean, Dr. Dan, do you get how yeah. powerful it is to know that while the while while the sand is sifting un, or shifting underneath my feet, the person who knows me the best still thinks I'm terrific. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Um, the North, their North Star, and um, I appreciate you validating the complexity of human experience um, because somehow as a parent these days there's there seems to be a lot of pressure that goes with it a lot of pressure to do it right to raise these very quote successful people and with that seems to come this um this untruth about our ability to control outcomes when it comes to raising parent uh, raising kids and 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 situations they're in it just doesn't it doesn't exist and as you pointed out one way to really 
blow it is to to try to exert that control. And to be fair to those of you who are listening, who are saying, gosh, I, I might be a little controlling, um, be kind to yourself. Um, it, it comes from your own concern and it comes from love. It's just we have to be really mindful about our parenting behavior and the impact it has on our kids, right? This is where the awareness comes in. But also, as Dr. Ken, as you're talking about, is like how important it is to see their strengths, like what's right with you instead of reflecting and talking in the words of everything that's wrong. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We should hang out more, Dr. Dan. We, I think we, we agree should. on a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but let, let's, let's take what you said and go even one step further, which is, you know, every emotion that we have is an opportunity to build resilience in our kids. Every emotion that we have, right? And so when we are feeling like we're dropping the balls, this is an opportunity to show self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? And to understand, you know, to you to take this metaphor to its limits, right? We've all been juggling a bunch of balls in our society, and there are things that feel really important to us. And then along comes the pandemic, and you're juggling all of these extra balls you never thought you would need to handle. And what happens? Some of them are dropping. This is an opportunity to look in two directions. Look up. See what's still in the air. Now you know what your values really are. Look down. Look at what's fallen onto the ground and understand that uh, some of those things should still be there. Mm -hmm. But forgive Mm -hmm. yourself for your imperfections. Why does this matter so much? Number one, it's good for you. Number two, it's a major resilience lesson for your child, right? To see that no one thinks they're perfect. No one is perfect and that the person I admire the most, even if they don't say that out loud, is compassionate with themselves. Let me give you one extra reason why Mm -hmm. you should be compassionate with yourself. You need for your child to feel safe coming to you when things feel awful and when they're experiencing shame themselves. And if they see that you are forgiving of yourself of your imperfections, they are much more likely to come to you in their times of need. If you're hard on yourself, if they think you're perfect, or if they think you just get down on yourself when you make a mistake, guess what? You're sending them a signal, I can't go to this person. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's that that resiliency, the, the modeling. The modeling is so key. You know, our kids, we always talk about, they're always looking. They're always watching. They're always hearing, um, particularly the things that you don't know that they're hearing and watching. And so they look to us and life can be hard. We have been in a pandemic for close to two years now. Um, But they are looking at us for how to be human, how to survive difficult situations and how to thrive in other situations as well. The whole gamut. And, um, it takes a lot of courage for a parent to be vulnerable. It takes a ton of courage to be real um, and, and to, to tell your child, like, I don't have the answers and I'm not sure what to do here. Or, you know what? I am sorry for how I handled that this morning. I actually didn't sleep well last night. I had a lot on my mind and uh, I didn't control myself as much as I would have wanted to. 
Like there's nothing more beautiful than that for a teenager to hear that. I agree emphatically. I think an apology is one of the most powerful ways to connect as a human being. In the context of parenting teenagers, it matters so much because when we display our own imperfections, it makes them understand that we too are human mm-hmm. and humans like to connect with other humans. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah. really positive way of connecting. Connection, communication. Tell us about how the center that you co-created, how did it, you know, how did it come to be and what need were you, are you serving with this program, programs? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I'm really, really proud of um, the group of colleagues we've assembled at the Center for Parenting Communication. We have some of the leading communication experts and parenting experts, a multicultural group of folks um, putting together um, parenting materials that um, humbly, I think it's the most comprehensive thing on the web to show you different strategies of communicating with and joining your, with your teenager. Um, it is strength-based. It is about uh, becoming a balanced parent, one who both can set the rules and be incredibly warm. It is deeply multicultural, which is urgently needed. Mm -hmm. Um, in this society where most parenting materials are white middle-class biased. And when you put out parenting materials in that way, you make a lot of people feel as if their parenting style um, is inadequate. When in fact, we can learn so much from different cultures who live um, in this nation. And Mm -hmm. so we are deeply multicultural. So on the one level, we are putting out parenting information in a way that everybody can access at parentandteen.com. We are also working with key social media influencers um, so that this model of how to parent can become the common model. You know, Dr. Dan, you, you started very early on acknowledging that I'm getting old and that there was a time when I was radical and... And people used to um, tease me for being like uh, Mr. Rogers. And now when people compare me to Mr. Rogers, I'm like, thank you, because we have largely the same message. Um, With that said, um, what is the other thing that's going on? There is a larger message besides just giving parent content. We are trying to be the home on the web of um, engaged parenting rather than survival-based parenting. Because if you search on the web, you're going to find a lot more survival-based parenting. And all that does is make people feel nervous instead of excited to to see adolescence as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's what the center is based on. Yeah, huge. The place for engaged parenting to come together. Um, what, What do you see with all of your your patients and um, participants over the years, what do you see for the parent that's listening? Like, how how do I slip over into that? How do I, you know, like what what are those ingredients where you see parents make that shift? So I think people are actually hungry for this shift. Mm-hmm. Let me add one other thought about what the Center for Parenting Teen Communication is. It's not about getting kids 
through adolescence. It's about using adolescence as an opportunity for them to become their best selves, to build the strengths of their character, right? People are hungry for this message. Mm -hmm. I have never had someone come to me like and say, oh, Ken, could you just tell me how to survive instead? Right. So yeah. so like yeah. that's not people's goal. People don't aspire to survive. People aspire to build strong families. So people are hungry for this message, but there's not enough people giving it because people always react to crisis first without right. understanding the importance of prevention and relationships to prevent crisis. Mm hmm. Yes. Um, and it is, I was going to say easy. It's not easy. It is very normal, everyone, to go from one crisis to another. And again, in the context we've been living in, we've had a lot of external crises. All of a sudden, you're back at virtual school, and now you have to quarantine. And now you're going virtual, but no, now you have to go into work. Now now your shift has been canceled because uh, there's been a... like There is so much... Um, that has become part of the fabric of our lives, that it does take a lot of, again, purposeful energy to think between the crises, right? To think, to think um, about the patterns of what we're seeing, to try to ask ourselves the question, what is going on here behind the scenes? Right. So, you know, what, what many people who read my parenting books don't know is that I work in a crisis center. I've been working with Covenant House um, for close to 40 years, and I'm the medical director of Covenant House Pennsylvania. So I work with youth enduring homelessness who are in crisis. Let's be clear. The way to avert crisis is by thinking outside of crisis how to make things right. Mm -hmm. People heal with good, stable relationships, right? And speaking to the parents who are listening, that's your goal. Mm -hmm. Be that person, that unconditionally loving human being who sees the child the way they deserve to be seen and whose presence is unwavering. That's mm -hmm. your goal. Yep. You do that, then, then you're going to have a lot fewer crises to deal with. Yes. And along those lines, in terms of types of parents, so many parenting terms out there that people have heard of. We have the authoritative parent, the authoritarian parent. We have the permissive parent. We have the, uh, we have the helicopter parent. We have the snowplow parent. And Dr. Ken, you talk about a different type of parenting, right? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the lighthouse parent. Yeah, let's. Thank you. So let's be clear that, um, in fact, when you talked about authoritative versus authoritarian, we actually know we have 60 years of research on what works, right? So let me be an academic for a minute. Let me wear my professor's hat. My professor's hat says that authoritative parenting, which is also known as balanced parenting, which is both warm and loving and sets clear rules, works yep. best, best yes. emotional outcomes, best behavioral outcomes, best academic outcomes, 60 years of research. So it means you're allowed to set rules, but you always place them in the context of love and caring instead of control. 
because yes. I love you, it is my job to keep you safe, right? That works. So what is lighthouse parenting? Well, you and I both live in a world where you go down the street and you don't hear people saying, I'd like to be an authoritative parent, right? Because right. that's academic words. So instead, you hear those words that capture the imagination, like helicopter and snowplow and free range and all of these words. They capture your imagination, but they're not rooted in science. So um, my job is to get people to do what we know works. So if I could stand on the corners and put out a little soapbox and say, be authoritative parenting because the research is clear, I would do that. But instead, folks, be a lighthouse parent, a stable force on the shoreline from which your child can measure themselves against. Look down at the rocks and don't let your kids crash against them. Look into the waves and trust that your child has the capacity to learn to ride them, but teach them how. Lighthouse parenting. So that wow. seems creative and brilliant, but all it is is a metaphorical, poetic way of describing authoritative parenting. Be a yep. model, be loving, but also monitor. I was going to say that is poetic. That is a poem. Lighthouse Parenting. Do you have that on the wall at the center? That that actually that 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 it was a poem. I, I had all the lines in the. Uh, I, I could see it. Um, man, to be that stable, lit being on the shore, right, and to be strong, looking at the crashing waves, the adversity, and to do whatever you can not to let them crash against the shore when at all possible. Yeah, yeah I, I'm really, Amen. I'm really glad to hear you t uh, also encapsulate. I mean, that is the poetic way of talking about the authoritative parent that we have learned so much about for so many decades. And the piece I really liked that you highlighted is warmth, warmth. Because back in the day when we were talking about all this stuff, it was really so rule bound. Like, like it's, it's like parenting was based on how many rules and how much control you exerted or uh, gave up. And so really what's come into the conversation in the last few decades, um, and more so recently, is this engaged, warm, loving parenting with guidelines, values, and boundaries for positive and healthy growth. Absolutely. Both are needed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the word warmth is also one of those words that people don't necessarily understand um, because you could easily respond, well, I love my kid and that's why I make rules. Of course, I get it. But the difference between love and warmth is what your kid knows. If you love your kid, but keep it a secret and only tell them what to do, they're not yeah. going to right. feel good about you're telling them what to do. Warmth is when your kid knows you love them and they know that it's because of your love and your caring that you set the rules, that you prepare them for the world, that you watch what they are doing because you care. Yes. Well, there is no good place to transition to the parent footprint moment question because there is so much to talk about, but we must. We must transition. So here we go. Dr. Ken, once again, for round two for you, 
Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or an awareness of your parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and those you love. You know, I changed what I was going to talk about midfield in the middle of our conversation about 25 minutes ago. I was going to tell you kind of a cute story or something. And then I really thought about what your audience, which is already an engaged audience, needs to hear. Um, And what they need to hear is that the best aspects of parenting may be in the future when your children are young adults. Hmm. Um, And that investing during adolescence is what gets you to that wonderful phase. So I don't think I have a cute story for you. I have a a gazillion cute stories of when they were little kids of moments that I really felt special. But rather than talk about an event, can we talk about the process that somewhere in the last couple of years, my daughters are now 26 they're both young professionals, um, you know, committed to justice, amazing human beings. But somewhere in the last couple of years, there's been a transition. I would rather be with them than anything else. Mm. I enjoy them. They're like my friends. I go to their house. They're identical twins, and they're currently living together. Um, I, I go to their house and hang out with them for fun, for pleasure, for personal growth. Wait for it. Wait for it to get advice. Uh. And that was a process, not an event. Mm-hmm. But what got me here was, I think, managing their adolescence in a way that saw them as experts, that honored their independence, and celebrated all that was good and right in them. That is so what we need to hear. That is so what we need to hear. Um, it's the long haul, right? It's it's the it's try, it's remembering to take the long view, and as we're dealing with the moments, the great ones, some of the hard ones, but you're really doing this for longevity. Yeah. Yep. And as you said, this back to the word at the beginning: the interdependent familial relationship. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, Dr. Ken, um, you've got a new book. You've got, I didn't mention the revision of the um, the Bible on resilience, building resilience. That's, that's in the works. And um, of course, you have your center and your online presence to let everyone know the best and easiest ways to uh, find all this stuff. Gosh, I think, uh, first of all, Building Resilience in Children and Teens, the fourth edition is out, so they can get that today. It's not in the works. Um, I think all of this, you could find all of this either on Amazon or the Center for Parent and Communication, parentandteen.com. There, we we really keep my books very much in the background because I don't want anyone to think that that's a marketing um, site because it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. the Center for Parent and Teen Communication will really give you um, the core knowledge that you need to get started. And then um, the other stuff is available anywhere where they sell books. And proudly, I want to say that all of my books are put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics. You know, Mm -hmm. what that tells you is that it always has to be credible. It always has to be rooted in the science. And it can never be worded in a way that's kind of clickbaity just to Mm -hmm. sell books. 
It's mm-hmm. always about strengthening families. It's always about being pro-development, which makes me not a radical, but I'm really proud of who I'm associated with in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are not a radical. Uh, you are a, you are a passionate um, mover of the field. And I, I'm saying this as someone who has followed your work and used your work personally and professionally for a very long time. So I, I'm just so grateful for what you continue to do, what you continue to do, and um, how you're always so generous with your time. I'm grateful for you as well. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's another show, a highly insightful show. Um, I am uh, thinking in double time right now. I'm right here with you, and I'm right here thinking about my parenting and my kids and um, ways ways to, ways to do it well and ways to forgive and be self-compassionate when it didn't always go so well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your five-star reviews. If you like this show, please share it. Also, check out our 2018 show with Dr. Ken, Building Resilience. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Two things. One, try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself daily. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.